Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole cracks the whip to quell dissent. Is it hate speech to fly an F. Trudeau flag? And a conversation with Libertarian Party leader Jacques Boudreau. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show on True North, Thursday, November 18th, 2021. It is my pleasure, nay, it is my privilege to have you aboard the program today. We're going to be talking about libertarian politics, free speech, and of course, the fight over Aaron O'Toole's leadership. I know it sounds a little bit familiar, right? This is what we talked about on the Tuesday show. We even had Conservative Senator Denise Batters on the program, except by the time the show aired, she was no longer Conservative Senator Denise Batters. She was a senator, she was a small-c conservative, but she was no longer a big-c Conservative caucus member, having been summarily expelled from the Conservative Party caucus by Aaron O'Toole because she decided to challenge Aaron O'Toole's leadership of the Conservatives. Here's the timeline. On Monday, Denise Batters releases a petition, says Aaron O'Toole has flip-flopped on policies, he's thrown the party under the bus, he's not trusted by Canadians, he's not poised to win an election when that time comes, so Conservative members should have a say over his leadership. That was her view. On Tuesday, she came on the show. We had a great chat. She restated that. She said she could be wrong, but she thinks the members need to have a say. And you know what? We pre-record things, of course, because it is a podcast and you get better quality if you've been able to do that. The challenge is every now and then, by the time you hit that publish button, something has changed that upends what you were talking about on the show. And in this case, it was almost exactly at that moment that we published that Aaron O'Toole had apparently announced that he had kicked her out of caucus. Denise Batters said it was in a voicemail. She even took a, a screenshot of the no caller ID phone number that had, uh, well, I guess absence of a phone number that had tried to reach out to her. And it was Aaron O'Toole telling her in a voicemail she was no longer in the conservative caucus. Now, Aaron O'Toole's brief statement here says he will not tolerate an individual discrediting and showing a clear lack of respect towards the efforts of the entire Conservative caucus who are holding the corrupt and disastrous Trudeau government to account. Just eight weeks ago, Canadians elected Conservatives to hold Justin Trudeau accountable for his economic mismanagement and fight the cost of living crisis, skyrocketing inflation, and the supply chain issues that are crippling businesses. That is our focus as a team, unquote. I, there are a couple of things that I want to point out here. Nowhere in this statement does he say what's actually happened, which is that she has taken aim at him. He says she's discredited and disrespected the entire Conservative caucus. You know, I spoke with Denise for, I think it was, what, maybe 15 minutes or so, and I didn't hear anything in there that was disrespectful to the caucus. Of course, Michelle Rempel-Garner had said that what uh, Senator Batters was doing was distracting people from the work that Conservative MPs were doing. But that's a, a little bit of a convoluted path to she's taking a flamethrower to the party itself. But I want to jump in on this line here because I, I had to kind of roll my eyes at it, but it's very important to understand this honestly. Aaron O'Toole's statement says, eight weeks ago, Canadians elected conservatives to hold Justin Trudeau accountable. 
Canadians did not elect conservatives at all to do anything eight weeks ago. That's the whole point. That's why we're having discussions about what went wrong. That's why the Conservative Party has launched a review of the election. That's why Aaron O'Toole is facing a call from inside the House to resign in some cases. The Canadians did not elect the Conservative. You don't get elected to be the opposition. You end up in opposition when you lose. But the Conservatives are still trying to spin everything that happened on September, what was it, September 20th, as a victory. They still don't accept or even concede that they lost. They're trying to say everything's fine, everything's hunky-dory. No, 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 Canadians elected us to hold Justin Trudeau to account. No, what that actually means is that Canadians elected Justin Trudeau. So let's at least have an honest discussion about what happened so that you can have an honest discussion about what comes next. And the reason is the primary defense of Aaron O'Toole right now, the primary defense of his leadership is that he was just he was just almost there. It was so close. He, he was just like a stone's throw away from victory. He could see it. He could smell it. He could taste it. It was almost there and it's going to be there next time. Now, that may well be true. But I maintain what I said on Tuesday, that Aaron O'Toole needs to do what he has not done yet, which is actually sell and defend his leadership. Apart from, well, we almost won and there could be an election within 18 months. Tell Canadians, tell conservative Canadians why you deserve to be there. And when you go around and start expelling anyone who criticizes you, you're not exactly sending the message of a leader in control of a party, a leader assured of his own leadership. And I want to talk about why this is not going to be the end of this journey for a lot of conservative MPs in just a, a couple of moments here. But first, I, I want to talk about Senator Denise Batter's response to this. She said in a statement published yesterday, I am and will always be a conservative. It is ironic that Aaron O'Toole is expelling me from our National Conservative Caucus for asking him to adhere to the principles and policies our Conservative Party members have approved. She goes on about how the petition is simply about giving members a say in the leadership and future direction of the party. And then she argues that O'Toole cannot tolerate criticism. She says she raised her concerns directly. He didn't respond. He didn't act. And now his response is to kick her out. And she points out that Senator Michael McDonald had made similar complaints, but did not get kicked out of caucus. And she wants to know why there is, in fact, a double standard there. And I don't know the answer. I mean, the, the reality is Michael McDonald made some comments, but I don't think launched a campaign in the way Senator Batters did. But nevertheless, there is a, a growing trend I think we're going to see of MPs and included in that category right now are senators that are increasingly uncomfortable with this top-down leader-directed process that we see in the Conservative Party. And that other story I wanted to bring up here comes from the Canadian press, O'Toole warns more expulsions in store for any MP who challenges his leadership. So on Wednesday, he said about expelling Senator Batters that she made the decision for herself. He said, I didn't want to make it. She made it for herself. He said people are allowing their frustrations and their personal agendas or issues on the pandemic to interfere with our progress, and they are not part of the team. So he says that anyone who's not putting the team in the country first will not be part of his team. So if you criticize Aaron O'Toole, you are no longer a team player. If you criticize Aaron O'Toole, you're not putting the country's interests first. That, that's what he's saying here. You're not putting the country's interests first if you criticize Aaron O'Toole. Anyone who's not putting the team and the country first will not be part of this team. 
So the idea that being a conservative means accepting a permanent gag order on the leadership, on things that members of the conservative party are, are not just morally allowed, but are, are contractually allowed to have a say on. There's a reason that there is a review process after an unsuccessful election. There's a reason because it is accepted the conservative members have a right to question and call out and even criticize their leader. So if you're a, a especially a senator, by the way, a, a senator who's not really been elected under the Aaron O'Toole banner, she was appointed and whatever you think of the Senate process, she doesn't owe anything to Aaron O'Toole, but he now decides that she is no longer welcome in the Conservative Party, at least insofar as sitting in caucus is concerned, because she has said that the members deserve a say on Aaron O'Toole's leadership. And you may know, I mean, I, I've been criticized of being anti-O'Toole. I've been criticized of being an O'Toole shill. Oftentimes, people responding to the same show because people tend to read into things and listen to whatever they, they want to hear. But I will say, I, I've been deliberately, very deliberately, I don't know if agnostic is the right word, but non-committal on what I think should happen because I'm not a member of the Conservative Party of Canada. It's not my place to weigh in on, on these sorts of decisions. But the, the roadmap that I have laid out is one that Aaron O'Toole is not following right now, which is actually making a point of explaining and being held accountable to the people who do feel alienated. I, I've had conversations with a number of conservatives since the election just uh, two months, actually, I think, yeah, two months ago this weekend. And people have been very frustrated. He changed his mind on firearms, on CBC funding, on conscience rights, on uh, social issues in general, on caucus discipline versus free votes. And all of these things have alienated different groups of carbon taxes, uh, different groups of conservatives. And in some cases, it may be a hill to die on. In other cases, it might just be a minor inconvenience. People that were prepared to overlook the carbon tax might not have been uh, so kind when the budget balance wasn't given a, a specific roadmap, for example. But the whole point is, is that this is something that conservatives, conservative members have to have a say on, because if not, who else? Do we want this decision to be made solely within caucus? Caucus has the right to do something, but it's a lot easier to win over 118 colleagues in caucus than to win over tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of members that you are ultimately beholden to in the country. And that's what's happening here. So I would like to see Aaron O'Toole at least try. I would like to see him try. I'd like to see him explain what he thinks he got out of his strategy and how he thinks he can turn that into victory. It's not enough just to tell people, oh, there, there could be an election around the corner. And it's not enough to tell people we made gains. Because you know who else made gains? Andrew Scheer. And you know who cared about those gains? Absolutely no one. Because close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades. I was raised with that bit of wisdom from my father, which has withstood the test of time. Close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades. And politics is, thankfully, neither horseshoes nor hand grenades. Although, sometimes it feels a little bit like the latter. Now, listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I, I, generally speaking, avoid predictions. There are a few variables, and one of which is if O'Toole can keep this process entirely in the caucus realm. Because I believe he has the support of most members of his caucus. There are some that are probably on the fence but don't want to rock the boat and, and certainly don't want to risk running afoul of being able to stay in the caucus, especially with this admonition that I just shared a few moments ago. That anyone who speaks up, anyone who is not putting the country first, will no longer sit as a conservative member of parliament. 
And, and listen, there's already been a string of this. The number of expulsions, disqualifications, ejections from caucus has been more significant in the last couple of years than it has been in, I think, like a decade prior to that. And I would also point out here that it is possible to exist, to coexist with critics in your own party. Jason Kenney has had to do this. Now, uh, Jason Kenney, I think, is fending off a lot more criticism from his own caucus than Aaron O'Toole is, but there are a number of critics, even those who have called for Jason Kenney's resignation, like Leela here and Angela Pitt, who are still sitting as UCP MLAs in Jason Kenney's caucus. Now, do you take from that that Jason Kenney is a weak leader? Do you take from it that he just doesn't want this absolute exodus of MLAs in which if you get rid of one, you have to get rid of them all? Or is he doing it because he realizes that strong leadership is the ability to withstand criticism? If I were Aaron O'Toole right now and I were wanting to stay on as leader, I would say, you know what? Bring it on. The conservative members deserve a say. I'm confident I can make my pitch to them. But he's not doing that. He should be leading the charge to have an early leadership review because it completely neutralizes all of those people saying he's trying to duck accountability. The only thing he gains from delaying is you get time to hopefully make it look like an election is more imminent. You also get time to hope that people's frustrations are a bit more of a distant memory. But this is going to be a, a very significant challenge as we head forward for Aaron O'Toole and for the conservative movement as a whole. Have to take a quick break here. When we come back, this is The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. One of my big pet peeves are bylaw enforcers, the of course, this has been amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has breathed new life into the mandate of municipal bylaw enforcement offices. Let's talk about Port Colborne, Ontario, a community that has a very restrictive ban on what you can say in terms of a political statement or expression of free speech, even on your own property. As the headline in the Port Colburn leader says, free speech or hate speech, Port Colburn resident ordered to remove vulgar banner. Now, normally we would blur this out, but in this case, I think the Maple Leaf is serving as an official censor of sorts. And as you can see, the sign there is a resounding F Trudeau. And if you look really, really closely, there's another F Trudeau sticker on the front door. Just in case you miss the big giant flag, you are uh, hit with the double whammy when you look at the door and realize that it's actually uh, a two F Trudeau <laughs> signs that you get on this house in Port Colburn. And one of the things that you see here, uh, by the way, the article says it's a Comic Sans font, and I consider myself a bit of a font savant, and I, I do not believe that is at all Comic Sans, but none of the, fake news, fake news, it's not Comic Sans. Anyway, uh, but they, they try to do it in a very formal way here. The banner, which reads F. Trudeau in a Comic Sans font, uses a maple leaf symbol to replace a single letter in the profanity. A small state, yeah, okay. It's F. Trudeau. That's what they're saying here. And I'm not endorsing the message, but not at all in a million years would I ever say this is hate speech. This is the very epitome of free speech, being able to be profane, being able to criticize your political overlords. Yet apparently a number of residents were complaining to the newspaper in the city. They were complaining to bylaw and the bylaw department has determined that this is a violation of the city's property standards bylaw 
law 4299-135-02, which says all homes must be free of painted slogans, graffiti, and similar defacements. So I don't know how a flag is a similar defacement to a, a painted slogan or graffiti, but the whole point is that they're trying to go after your own expression on your own property. Now, they might do the same thing if you had a sign that said, uh, you know what, I hate broccoli or something. Who knows? I mean, they're, they're using something that deliberately covers all speech and all expression. But the fact that this is at all viewed in the same vein as hate speech, when it is literally the most essential form of free expression, which is political speech, is a sad reminder of how far things have come. And again, I'm not saying Justin Trudeau's behind this. This is a bunch of busybodies on the Port Colborne bureaucracy. But at the same time, this is why drawing a line to separate between free speech and hate speech is so futile, because it means different things to different people. So when the government in the last uh, days of the last sitting of parliament put forward Bill C-36, which would recriminalize effectively online hate speech, I don't buy the government's proclamations that, oh, well, we're only after the really, really, really bad speech because to some people, really, really bad speech is saying F Trudeau. To other people saying, oh, you know what? A biological female is the only one that can be a woman. That could be hate speech. So the idea is when you give people license to go after hate speech, all you're doing is giving license to censor based on things they may hate, based on expressions they may oppose. And the reason that this is so essential to talk about is because there is very much a trend against liberty, against freedom of speech in Canadian society. And stories like this, in a perverse way, are valuable because they force people to realize that, well, hey, I, I, maybe I don't want government busybodies telling me what I can and can't say. Well, then oppose Bill C-36 when it comes back, which it will. Speaking of liberty, going to return with a in-depth discussion with Jacques Boudreau, leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, in just a couple of moments' time. This is The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. Well, obviously, the 2021 election is done, but for most parties and political movers, the fight for the next election, whether that comes in 2023 or 2025, whenever it is, is still underway. And we always try to do things a little bit differently at True North and spotlight some of the parties and leaders who don't necessarily get attention from the mainstream media, but whose perspectives are nonetheless very significant and certainly part of the Canadian political fabric. And I wanted to do exactly that this segment. Talk to the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, Jacques Boudreau. Now, Jacques is a relatively new leader to the party, as we'll talk about in just a moment. Tim Moen, I had on the show previously, was the, the former leader. But I, I should say right out of the gate, Jacques and I have a bit of a history, not a bad history, but when I ran as a candidate in London West for the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario in 2018, he was the Libertarian candidate in uh, that riding. And we both lost... Uh, uh, he's now moved on to leading a party, and I've just run as far from politics as I can. Uh, but it's great to talk to you again. Uh, Jacques Boudreau, thanks very much for coming on today. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to see you again. So how did you end up the leader? Let's start there. Why did you want that job, and, and how did you get there? So we had a convention in Edmonton uh, the weekend of August 14th and 15th. In leading up to that, the position of deputy leader was vacant, and I had made up my mind that um, 
I would be a good candidate for it, um, if only because I'm bilingual. Uh, I thought Tim did a great job, but uh, in order to get traction in French-speaking Canada, I thought, well, that would be uh, pretty good. But then a few weeks before, Tim announced that he had done his bit and uh, needed to move on. And I thought, well, deputy leader, leader, um, why not go for it? I mean, I... And of course, jumping right into the, uh, the the busy season, heading into an election, of course, too. Well, I don't know if it's a bad or good omen, but I was elected on the 15th, which is when the election was called. So There we go. Let, let me go back to the basics here in a lot of ways, because I, I know for people that are involved in, in, you know, politics and have had even some background in political theory, perhaps the word libertarian takes on a meaning that it might not have for the average Canadian. How do you define what a libertarian is, either in general or, or just in a Canadian political context, such as the Libertarian Party of Canada? Well, as you know, there are different um, hues or colors of libertarianism. But uh, to my mind, a libertarian is anybody who abides on a consistent basis to the non-aggression principle. And for those who don't know it, it's very, very simple. It's that the initiation or the threat of initiation of force against the innocent is wrong. And by innocent here, again, because you need to define these things, is anyone who does not engage in the, what I like to refer to as the shall nots, right? So if you don't engage in murder, beating up, uh, raping, uh, stealing, uh, then you are, you are innocent. And it's, I would say from that perspective, we are very at odds with most other parties who will regularly vote, for example, for laws that would outlaw things that uh, they don't like. But not liking something is very, very different from outlawing, outlawing something that is, uh, that is wrong in the sense that, you know, if there's aggression, of course, you want to outlaw it, but you, you, you shouldn't outlaw things that you simply disagree with. And, you know, I, I can think of two very good examples of this in Quebec right now, where people have learned nothing from history. Um, you know, the, the, well, the very, very recent one is all the, the heat that um, the president of Air Canada is taking because he doesn't speak French. Now, maybe you're offended by this. Maybe you think it's poor uh, marketing. Uh, and we could argue that maybe those are, but he's certainly not aggressing anybody by not speaking French. So people who are calling for draconian measures to compel him to do so from a libertarian point of view are completely wrong. Um, more egregious is Bill 21 in Quebec, mm -hmm. where again, if you wear a religious symbol on the job, you are not aggressing anybody. Now, if you don't like it from a libertarian point of view it would be, well, that's tough. But you, you can't start at gunpoint telling people whether can, what they can or cannot do simply because you don't like what they do. So it, I would say it's a, it's a very marked difference between us and the other parties who, again, will engage in this type of behavior on a regular basis. Because another thing that is um, confused greatly is, uh, and Francois Legault actually made that point, he said, well, Bill 21 is okay because the majority of Quebecers approve of it, and moreover, it was passed democratically. To which I say, 
well, you are confusing what is legal with what is moral, right? You've made it legal, but it's still immoral. And, you know, there's all kinds of examples of this throughout the, the history of mankind. I mean, apartheid was legal. Uh, segregation in the southern U.S. was legal. Um, you know, Hitler came into power through democratic means. So there's all kinds of examples where you can't confuse morality with legality. I think you touch on something very important, though, Jacques, and this is, I'd say, one of my biggest frustrations in Canadian politics right now, and it's probably not a distinctly Canadian phenomenon, is that so many people are unwilling to make that distinction. You see this especially in the context of so-called hate speech laws, where people say, you know, because I dislike that speech, I deplore that speech, it should therefore be illegal. How do you break through that? Because I think that what everyone should do is just do exactly what you said, just live their lives as long as they're not aggressing on others, as long as they're not infringing on others' liberties. But so many people want to equate those two and, and link those two, the legal and the moral. Well, so first of all, just to be crystal clear, um, the Libertarian Party of Canada is certainly not opposed to the criminal aspect of what, you know, the criminal laws are, that, that we have with regard to hate speech. I mean, you, in terms of aggressing people, we, we don't we don't condone or favor anybody who would... Um, you know, sort of bring up hate against other people or encourage violence against certain groups. So we're fine with well, if I may, though, Jacques, those are very different things. Encouraging violence, you can argue that's a, a threat, that infringes on other liberties. Where do you draw that line, though? Because bringing up hate, that's an emotion. And, and we have in Canada a, a very significant debate about where that line is drawn. So where would you draw it? Yeah, sorry, I, I misspoke. I mean, I would say anybody who incite violence against a group okay. out of hate. Yeah. Good, good. No, um, I mean, part of the battle, to answer your question, is, of course, is that we've had legal judgments where stating facts that are verifiable could constitute hate speech. I mean, that, that was a terrible, terrible judgment. I mean, I, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how one could come to that. Um, I mean, to address your point, I would say that I would point to people that at some point they will be on the receiving end of these types of laws. Like one day they will express an opinion and we see this on the left all the time. I mean, I, I think it was on your show last week, uh, possibly where, um, or, or maybe it was Candace, but uh, talking about how um, Margaret Atwood, no, yeah, you know, was suddenly, you know, people turned on her because she expressed an opinion that uh, people didn't like. So, one way that I would try to get through to people is, you know, you just wait. At some point, you will express an opinion that people will not like. And again, it's not because they don't like it that they constitute hate speech. And, you know, could try to point to past examples, you know, like Margaret Atwood or other people. We often hear from conservative politicians in, in particular the importance of small government, limited government. And now, obviously, the Libertarian Party is, is going a lot farther in, in, in terms of how much to shrink government. But, but I will ask you, do you feel that the conservatives are better than the liberals, even in a small way, on the idea of liberty? Or is your view that they're, they're entirely just two sides of the same coin? I find that conservatism in Canada is very much like um, the Republican Party in the US in that when they are not in power, they speak a fairly good game. I mean, it's certainly not as good as I would like it to be, but then you get into power 
and there's a very serious disconnect between what they argued while in the opposition and what they they do when, once they're in power. So my answer is the rhetoric, yeah, is certainly better than the liberals. Once they get into power, I'm not sure. How do you rank the People's Party of Canada? Because this is a party that, in the last election in particular, was, I, I think, taking what I would argue are fairly libertarian positions on vaccine mandates, vaccine passports. I know Maxime Bernier has in the past been called, I don't know if he's called himself it, but he's been called by other people more of a libertarian. Has this party done a lot of the work that you would like to see done in Canadian politics on, on these issues? Yes. I mean, they... Well, Maxime does not want to be referred to as a libertarian. I think he's made that clear. Um, I mean, when he quit the Conservatives, I mean, quite frankly, we had some talks with him and I mean, it, it didn't go anywhere in part because I think he, again, he does not want to be a libertarian, but they certainly have many um, elements of their platform are identical to ours. In fact, we think sometimes he's um, He's taken them, which is fine. I mean, we're about ideas, not necessarily being in power. But um, I would simply say I don't think they go far enough. But I certainly like when they talk about doing away with supply management, you know, we would certainly be in uh, in favor of that, you know, smaller government. But, you know, I think we'd still have a very large federal government under a PPC um, government. What is it that you would like to see if you, if you were the prime minister? And I, I know, obviously, you're, you're not talking about uh, expecting that. You, you have very realistic expectations about being a party of ideas. But, but what would be the top three things that you think would be feasible within the Canadian political climate that would move things to where you want them to be? Well, I'm, a, I'm an actuary uh, by background. So, um, you know, the fiscal side of things, particularly... Uh, what we refer to as unfunded liabilities is a is a massive massive problem which and I find this bewildering but nobody talks about this I have brought it up on the campaign trail and all I get is people's eyes glazing over but you know it amounts to 2.7 trillion dollars in this country and there are promises made to people that will be very very difficult to to keep so I certainly and this is not even strictly speaking, libertarian, but um, it needs to be addressed. I mean, from a libertarian point of view, one of the things that absolutely needs to be done is to allow young people to opt out of things like the CPP, because the, the rate of return, the implied rate of return on their contributions is abysmal. And I, you know, I, I can show you the numbers at some point, um, but that, that needs to be addressed. I mean, we cannot continue to kick the can down the road, which is what we do. Uh, and at some point, um, like Medicare is, um, it, it's included in that. You know, one of my colleagues at the Canadian Institute of Actuaries in 2013 projected that 25 years from that date, close to 100% of provincial uh, taxes would need to go to pay for health care. So if you're a big government person, that means leaves no money to pay for education, leaves no money to pay for roads and, and all the, the things that people want. That needs to be addressed. And I I see no plan whatsoever on the part of government to uh, to address that. Yeah, very, very well said. Jacques Boudreau, leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada. We'll have to have you back on the show and, and perhaps do a deeper dive into the pension question, because I, I think it's a very important one. Thanks very much for coming on, Jacques. All right. Thank you.
That was Jacques Boudreau, leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada and my one-time political rival in uh, London West circa 2018. Not circa 2018, it was literally in 2018. Anyway, this is the problem with Latin. <laughs> in any case, we've got to end things there. My thanks to Jacques and to you all for tuning in to The Andrew Lawton Show. We'll be back tomorrow with a special edition of the program, a deep dive into the inflation crisis afflicting this country. What is the problem? Where is it coming from? And what do we do about it? And then back to regular full-strength edition of Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show next week. Thanks to you all. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.